Hello and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am the entertainment editor editor at The Verge. I'm Liz Lopato. I'm the science editor at The Verge. Um, and, you know, we don't talk about politics very much on this podcast, I, I realize. I mean, you know, we, we kind of step over. There's sort of a triangle, I feel like, that hovers between, like, creative stuff, tech stuff, science, and then there's politics kind of at the center. And we kind of dodge around it all the time. We manage to not. Well, there is a reason for that, um, which is that I personally find politics incredibly depressing. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that. Um, um, especially this year. Oh, um, and especially with, uh, I mean, you know, for me, I, I wish that I could just appreciate this year's Republican race, especially as just like art or like a weird, like, like farce that's happening, like, a, like a reality show. But it's, and I think a lot of people kind of have that removed like mindset towards it of like lol look at the crazy evil men who want to run our country but you know it's just like i can't remove myself from it that well and i wouldn't no, want to so. i am straight up terrified i yeah. am literally just terrified like i remember last week there were like two big narratives coming out of 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 the republicans and the democrats right and the the republicans was about mud swinging and like trump going after ted cruz's wife and the big narrative for the Democrats was a bird landing on Bernie Sa- uh, Sanders' platform during a speech. And Aww. like that kind of like summed up for me um, what has what it, what it has felt like. Because like there has been infighting between Sanders and Clinton and that has been unpleasant to watch as well. But like, whoo, not nearly at the same level of. Uh, and it seems like it precedented. I mean, that it's about par for what any kind of intra-democratic party squabbling and uh you know, finger pointing there would be any other year. Right. We're on and another like, level. On the oh, other God. Side. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we're not even in the general election yet. No. And so the but reason I, think, I mean, I think that that's going to be chiller in some way. I mean, no matter who gets nominated, right? Like, oh I don't know. God. That's my I'm So I'm, I'm also scared about the convention um, just because, like, I don't know. I, I have read a lot of books uh i've read a lot of books uh but um about sort did of did you the... watch did you watch bachelor this season i did not oh man you you like books and to smart, talk smart things uh that's that a line <laughs> that's no but i mean you know if you read these write-ups of the big conventions in the 60s that ended in riots and like you look at what's going on in the republican field right now if the Republican establishment does rebel against Trump, I think there's going to be a big backlash. And I'm really scared of what that looks like. And if the Republican establishment doesn't make a big rebellion against Trump, then I'm still scared. So like, yeah. it, it, and the reason the reason we're, we're starting off talking about politics is there is, of course, a science angle, um, which is uh, about abortion. Uh, this week, Trump said and then walked back a little that he thought that women should be pum- punished for having abortions. Um, and for those of you who are just tuning in, abortions can and do save women's lives across the world. Um, the abortion issue is actually quite big right now, in part because there is a brand new and kind of scary virus that is causing a lot of fetal deformities. Uh, but also, I don't, you know, I just don't think that... I personally believe that this is something, a conversation that a patient should have with her doctor and it's nobody else's business. Sure. And I I mean, I would kind of almost, 
I think this is the thing that we see time again with Trump is like he has actually said before in debates in this campaign, not even talking like 10 years ago when he was not a political figure as he is now, unfortunately, uh, he has been kind of soft pedaled on, on the on the, the pro life side. He's not had any strong really compared to like Cruz or Rubio or somebody like he he was sort of, you know, it wasn't a campaign issue for him. Not that he really seems to have any clear campaign issues besides a wall. But, like, it, it's just, it doesn't feel like a statement with any strategy behind it. Um, it's just another thing that he's just said. The problem is that he has, like, hundreds of thousands of supporters, if not millions, who... Uh, hang on his every word, even though he's probably not taking any of this as seriously as they are. Well, so here is the thing that I personally enjoyed about this particular grim debacle is that for the last 20 years, anti-abortion groups have pretended that their opposition to abortion isn't about punishing people. It's not about punishing women for being sexually active, right? Um, And it's not that's like on the face of it, not true, because they allow exceptions uh, for rape and abuse and incest. Right. right? So the cases where you're forced to have sex, you can have an abortion. But if you knowingly chose to enjoy yourself, you should have to have a pregnancy and a child. (laughs) If you haven't already been punished, then you need to get punished. Right. So, yeah. So in some sense, that's what it always has been. And he has brought that particular subtext into text. Right. Mm -hmm. And which, of course, has upset every anti-abortion activist in America because they've been working for 20 years to bury that. Meanwhile, the FDA has just approved new labeling requirements for the most widely used abortion drug in the country, which makes it easier for women who are seeking a medical abortion to get one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which uh, is good news. We actually wrote a really big piece uh, by Charlotte Shane about the medical abortion and why don't more people know about it. Um, that was a couple months ago. Uh, I recommend it to anybody. Um, but so the, um, the new requirements lower the dosage of drugs and reduce the number of times you n- need to visit a doctor. Um, so that's good news for people who might have uh, clinics around them closing. Um, you know, you you may not necessarily need to get a DNC. Well, I mean, but the, so so we should probably talk about what he said specifically with regard to punishment because it was so it was like classically vague and not all the way there. But at the same time, he was like, "Yes, there should be some kind of like punishment or talking to." <laughs> yeah, I mean, so he he. I want to be very clear that he has now walked this back. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. He doesn't mean any of it. Nothing he... He doesn't mean, like, any of the stuff that he says that, like, somehow makes it even worse, though. Right. No, but he has proposed, and I quote, some form of punishment. Some form of punishment. Um, So, Glad to see he's thought this through. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Anyway, um... Just just for those of you who do not know, abortion is a very common procedure in the U.S., uh, which is where we are. And uh, a lot of women don't talk about it. Um, but you I want to say I want to say the figure is startlingly high and I don't have it right in front of me. But if you are dealing with, you know, uh, 10 women, there is a strong possibility that at least one of them, probably more, has had an abortion. Yep. And that includes conservative women, by the way. Um, yep. 
which is one of the dirty secrets <laughs> of, of abortions, is that um, uh, from time to time, if you read uh, the accounts of people who work at clinics, which I do, uh, they will discover um, that somebody who has been outside protesting occasionally comes in. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's a, it's a reality. It's a, and it's and people who, uh, people who are picketing abortion clinics tend not to really deal in reality for, uh, for that. But anyway, uh, we should probably move on. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I um, <laughs> wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Night Shift from Apple. Because one of the things that, that you and I both do, and that I think a lot of us do, is stare at a screen all day. And so Favorite just sort part of, of my day. <laughs> yep. This is uh, one of the reasons why I try to spend my time off not staring at screens, in fact. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the things that I thought was uh, interesting about it is they're trying to essentially reduce certain kinds of light, blue light specifically, uh, to make it a little bit easier to go to sleep at night. Um, and there, that may also help a little bit with eye strain. So I talked to a couple of doctors uh, about how helpful it will be. And obviously, this isn't a total solution, right? Because like, things that aren't light can stimulate you so much that you don't get to sleep, like having a fight with somebody you love, for instance, just mm-hmm. to throw that out there. <laughs> like, um, or, you know, um, if you were watching something disturbing, um, even if you have a blue light filter on, it's still going to probably upset you. Right. <laughs> um, And then, you know, also the other piece of it was eye strain. So I talked to some optometrists and what they had to say about it was essentially that blue light is not high quality light to see by. But again, it's not the whole story um, because we're all looking at things that are way too close for how our eyes sort of evolved. Right. Like our natural focus point should be about 20 feet ahead of us. And most Mm. of the time we're not looking that far ahead of us. So it's it's, what accounts for, for for nearsightedness then. That's, that's, that's part of it. There's been a world epidemic of myopia, which is the fancy scientific word for nearsightedness, uh, as mm-hmm. more people are doing close work. Huh. Uh, I, I actually <laughs> um, confirmed with both optometrists I spoke to that all of the uh, uh, reading I had done with a flashlight under the covers as a kid probably ruined my eyesight. Huh. <laughs> I'm re- extremely nearsighted. See, I wanted I wanted glasses so badly when I was you know eight, nine, ten. When I finally had to get them at like fifteen, it was like I felt like I had worked really hard for them. Like I I I'd done as much you know computer gaming as possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was like in third grade and. It became extremely clear to both my dad and my teachers that I could not see the chalkboard. And I was still doing pretty well in class because I was pretty good at listening. And that was how I was compensating for the fact that I couldn't see a thing that was going on on the chalkboard. <laughs> but I did end up getting glasses and then I could see the blackboard again. That was amazing. It's science. It's modern, modern medicine is, is amazing. Yeah, okay, I'm so a big fan. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about this, this, um, this Apple uh, night night. Night vision, not night vision, night shift. Night shift, yeah. Um, So what it does, it's a little bit of a takeoff of something called uh, F.Lux, which I I, um, am curious about exploring now as well. That's Uh, the yellow plug-in where it makes the screen kind of amber-colored a little bit. That's right, and night shift does that too. Yeah. and, and so what it does is you can set it to either manual times or sunrise and sunset, and it'll switch your screen from looking like your screen normally does to having sort of a more yellow or orange tint. And um, you can adjust it for how 
yellow or orange you want it to be. Uh, although the optometrists I spoke to were pretty skeptical about that. It, they said, uh, one of them said, this was a, such a good quote, that it was like adjusting the flavor or adjusting your medication to adjust for flavor. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so, you know, uh, might help. Uh, at worst, it's going to be it's going to be harmless. It's going to do nothing for you. It's also ugly. Um, okay. It looks like your screen is broken. <laughs> well, the, I was trying to test it out for this story, and I have a really old iPhone, and it doesn't, like, it didn't, when I did the upgrade, it didn't appear. Um, I don't know the okay. technical specs for why, but it turns out that if you have a 5S or later, you get it, and I do not have a 5S or later. I have a very old phone. <laughs> So apart from, maybe you can explain a little bit just the basic science of it, because apart from being the opposite of blue light, which is the is a, is a hotter light temperature-wise, uh, what is the benefit of having a more orange or warmer light on the spectrum? Well, so the benefit essentially is has to do in part with your circadian rhythm, which is actually longer than 24 hours. It's 24.2. So the way that our bodies reset is by exposure to light, to sunlight, uh, which is a really strong suppressant of melanonin, melatonin, excuse me, which is one of the things that starts, to, it's a hormone that starts to prepare us for sleep. Uh, yeah. A couple hours before you go to sleep, uh, melatonin usually starts to surge. And there's no way to sort of disentangle this with the blue light because that's one of the things that most strongly suppresses melatonin. So if you're shifting to... Uh, the warmer ends of the scale, you're still going to be um, telling your body that it's light out, but not in quite the same extreme way that blue light does. Um, and I don't know why that is. It might just be because of the sky, right? Like mm -hmm. you go outside, you look at the blue sky, and it's daylight. Yeah. Uh, but huh. that's that's sort of the thinking behind it. And again, it's not super high quality light, so it can lead to eye strain, especially at night. I always wondered if it had something to do with just the fact that like most of the light that we have indoors at night tends to be more tungsten light, uh, lower temperature light that, and so something that is white light or blue light or something would, would clash or be more strainful to our eyes, but that's just the fake science that I made up around it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it is specifically to do with the sort of the wavelengths that we get from the sun and the way that we evolved and the way that we are now living lifestyles that we, you know, created ourselves that aren't quite the same recent. as what we evolved for. Yeah, right. Very, They're very, very recent, recent lifestyles. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I put this in our, our rundown very late in the game, but I feel like we owe it to ourselves to talk about it, especially because we just got a very nice letter from a listener saying that he enjoyed uh, when we talked of Inside Baseball as far as media and, <laughs> and working on a website goes. And boy, do we have a fast baseball pitch for you. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so if you have not already, if you are not in this inner few circles of people to whom this story would have been disseminated out of just general interest, there's a, a just thrilling read on the New York Observer called L on Earth. <laughs> that is uh, by a writer named Jacques and uh, Hazagi, I guess is how you would maybe pronounce his last name. And he basically tells the story of how he had the, uh, had access for what was going to be the most brilliant interview with Ray Kawakubo, uh, the, the designer of uh, Come to Garçon, a really famous, very lauded Japanese designer. Uh, and 
how his editors at L and uh, yeah, mostly just L uh, messed that up for him and, and and stifled his genius. There are so many wonderful parts of this. I <sighs> liked when the copy editor gave up two paragraphs in. Oh uh, my god! Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> I mean, there's so many fascinating levels, but uh, I mean, it it goes all over the place. There's there's the fantastic line. We all know most of our colleagues at work are incompetent frauds, but it is the smallest unexpected change in our routines that reveal how easy it would be for a collective inefficiency to bring about destruction, how close we are from complete collapse. So there are like five words that are wrong in that sentence, but it's also just an incredible sentence. Please keep <laughs> reading because that's where you get to the 9-11 metaphor that is just the worst thing in the piece. A box and it's cutter. So- Oh, my God. Brought down the World Trade Center and our air defense system with it. Period. End of paragraph. (laughs) Okay. So because I am like the nitpickiest editor on Earth, Uh one, um, our air defense system is satellites and missiles and, um, you know, planes, the the jets that our our, our Army and Navy and Air Force all run. I would not say they brought down the air defense system so much as they showed the weaknesses in how we protect travelers. But that (laughs) seems like a minor point, considering that a 9-11 metaphor in the middle of a story about um, fashion seems entirely (laughs) ill-considered. Also, (laughs) in this metaphor, I'm pretty sure he's the box cutter, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I, I know. I, we're probably like we're we're losing listeners by the second. And you have to read the story. Just Google L on Earth. E L L E on Earth. Please uh, remember, you're dealing with an unreliable narrator. The reason everyone I know was fascinated by this was because a lot of us edit, and yeah. almost all of us have dealt with someone who refuses to be edited. Right. Um, and if you're female, as as I happen to be, and as Emily is, uh, sometimes you have men who think that the best way to respond to an edit they don't like is to email your boss or call your boss or CC your entire masthead, which is what this writer does in the piece. <laughs> which is incredible. It's such uh, a, oh, it's such a, oh. Over you know, and story. so there was like this, it, again, for, for me, reading it was like listening to Hotline Bling. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really take the narrator that seriously. I could only just see all of the things that were happening around him that he was refusing to understand. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that some of the ideas he goes in with while he comes in awfully hot, just like just completely discrediting the entire anybody who works in media and every single person in the latter. I mean, there's in just editorial. this amazing thing where he calls like a bunch of people bores. He like calls specific publications boring. He compares certain women to animals uh defecating. Like it's just it's 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 pretty it's pretty out there. But don't I mean, worry, he definitely has time to tell you about all the models he's dated. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, he dated <laughs> models. Jacques has dated models. Don't don't forget that. Was that was important to know. That was the deck I'm pretty sure. Uh, but I mean, but I mean, some of the stuff that he goes in with, with that I was concerned. I mean, I re- I started reading it because I was like, yes, I understand this problem. This problem of like these big stories, especially when you get into like the big magazine world, that fashion world, are vetted with the subjects. Like there are completely advertorial stories that are done 
with the okay and the uh, oversight of these big fashion houses, or in some cases, other, you know, other companies. I think it happens a lot in fashion um, and, and a lot so in, in Hollywood. He argues, too. right, that his his interview got butchered for the concerns of the company, right? But please keep in mind earlier on in the story, he talks about vetting what outlets he would publish the interviews in with the company. So he kind of is part yeah. of the problem while no, he's, he's totally at it. Totally, you know a part what of I mean? the problem. And I kept waiting for that part where he was like, and then I learned I should never do that again, like, like vet a story through the company. But, you know, that didn't that didn't show up so much, even though that was like his primary concern. Anyway, read it. Love it. Just marvel about um, the privileges of men. Also, it's just an amazing, like, if you are like me, you are so fascinated when you watch people just decide to napalm a bridge. Yeah. This guy didn't napalm one. Like, he just went for every bridge he could find. Just all of the bridges. Every bridge. bridges that he wasn't even directly involved with in the story. He just, like, (laughs) threw them out there. It's like, and that's garbage, too. Everybody there is incompetent. It's amazing. It's so, oh, it's beautiful. I mean, to be fair, it sounds like he's pretty over the media world and uh you know that's his prerogative <laughs> sure <laughs> but why not leave us something entertaining to to go out <laughs> on it's uh it's great yeah so uh if you like uh bridge burning resignation notes boy do we have the feature for you yeah it's called a madman it's sort of, it's like an episode of madman like <laughs> like a modern 2016 version media world um anyway let's uh let's let's get far far away from <laughs> Well, uh, I'm going about as far away from fashion I can get as I can get, which is to um, video games. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I've been playing Quantum Break, uh, which is this new video game um, about time travel. Uh, It's I I I think it's very cool. Um, But I'm going to start by talking a little bit about how time travel does and doesn't work. Uh, because the fact is, I, I, this doesn't follow Quantum Break, which is, I think, I think it's coming from Microsoft Studios. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't follow physics rules of how time travel works, and right. it doesn't matter um, <laughs> narratively. Um, is this, is, this is not out yet, or it's, um, it's coming it's, out? It's not out yet. Um, okay. I, you have I, a fancy advanced copy because we work for a tech website. Because I'm, I'm a fancy lady. That's why they sent it to me. They were like, you mm-hmm. seem fancy. Oh. Uh, it comes out April 5th. I'm kind of um, hurt that I didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't have an Xbox One. That's why. I, well, I, I've been playing it at the office. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Um, okay. So um, just so you know, we are all currently traveling through time at a rate of one hour per hour. Um it's- Kind of more than I can handle, to be honest. It's too fast. <laughs> Wouldn't mind if it slowed down a little. Um, so, so that's you know, the question then becomes: can can we um, can we travel in ways that are different than that? And it turns out the answer is kind of yes. Um, if you're traveling forward, so for instance, acceleration because of Einstein's theory of relativity, um, time and space uh, are are the same thing. Uh, and so the faster you move through through space, the more that time will slow down for you. So, um, you know, we, we, we talked about um, Commander Kelly coming back from the ISS and having like being a couple tenths of a second, maybe not even that much younger than his yeah. twin. That 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 is that is special relativity. Um, so it is possible for us to move forward and move forward very fast. But the question becomes can you move backwards? <laughs> right. And it looks like 
Probably not. Um, I mean, some like the idea of wormholes um, where there's like a fold in space time. It's like a shortcut. Uh Um, But that doesn't seem we don't there's no evidence that those are real. So but in in all time travel theories, it's not possible for a time traveler to go back before the machine was built um, is the the physics. Um, So so time travel into the future is possible. Um, That is a thing that we can do. Time travel backwards, maybe not. You mean time travel into the future at the current rate in which we are traveling into the future? Well, that too. But I mean, we could theoretically travel 10,000 years into the future while aging only a year during the journey if we were going fast enough. Okay. It would require just an insane amount of energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, But we do not have faster than light speed yet. Right. So... You know, that like that's like ninety nine point five percent the speed of light, I think, to to make those calculations work because um, you can't go faster than light. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you you could theoretically travel very fast in space and age very little. Uh, but the idea of going back doesn't doesn't seem as possible. Right. <laughs> Um, and so the, the point of, of, of quantum break is that uh, a time machine has in, been invented and it is essentially broken time. And both the protagonist and the villain, uh, as a result of this, get sort of superpowers that allow them to influence time. And so one of the things you can do when you're faced with a room full of enemies you have to shoot is freeze one and then shoot him. Um, and you can also sprint very fast across the room because you you're you know, able to manipulate time. You can see echoes of things that have happened in the past and future, that sort of thing. I'm a big fan of time magic in any kind of like JRPG setting um, or anime setting. I have to say, I'm going to completely sidebar here for a total geek out moment, uh, that there's a a wonderful show that I'm obsessed with. Not really show, it's like a mini series um, called Madoka Magica. And there's a character in it who is a time magic uh, wielder and what she does is she stops time she could she I mean she has to stop all of time and then she'll go and get like a million machine guns and cannons and stuff and <laughs> position them in front of an enemy turn time back on and just blow them all the bits at once well like after having taken probably a year one would imagine to <laughs> get all this stuff together it's pretty great <laughs> Anyway, um, I mean, I, there is something really joyous and cool about what time travel lets you do with narrative. Like, I mean, think of uh, Slaughterhouse Five, right? Where mm-hmm. like PTSD is being rendered as coming unstuck in time and having yeah. you know time happen to you out of order and having all of these intense flashes of things that have happened in the past or will happen in the future. Yeah. So I love that, and obviously, you know, time travel is is. Uh, an American concept is H.G. Wells, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. beginning of it. Um, and there's been a bunch of really cool stuff that's been that's been going on. You know, like I I loved Looper, for instance. Yeah. Where you know, um, you have someone who goes back in time to try to prevent something really terrible from happening, and in so doing, causes the thing to happen. I mean, it's Baby Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, the other thing that I, I really enjoy about that is it's our way of sort of dealing with this very old thing. Like, um, you might remember in Greek mythology, um, there's the uh, prophecy that a son is going to murder his father and marry right. his mother. And so the, the king, like, sets the baby out to die. And that is what sets into events all of the things yep. that end up with Oedipus Rex, right? Yeah, it's very loopy. <laughs> 
Um, and that's I, I feel like that's our way of of dealing with prophecy now is to instead uh, use time travel. Um, and I love that. I love it so much. I love the way that you can ha- present things out of order, which I wish the game did a little more of. Mm. Uh, because most of the time stuff is limited. It's like still everybody going forward. You know, you're, you have special time powers. But at least so far, I haven't finished the game just yet. Um, you don't find yourself abruptly thrown backwards into, you know, situations that don't make sense or abruptly thrown forward into situations that don't make sense because time is unstuck, you know? I mean, this seems like such an obvious way to to apply, like, a video game structure into something like that where, you know, you grow as a character through stats or whatever and, and or respect stars um, in, in a video game. And if you're able to go back and, like, replay a battle that you failed at the first time because now you're a future version of yourself. I mean, that just seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. And I feel or, like they, there's some of that in some, some like, RPG games, but not, like, overtly in a time-travel-themed situation. Well, and I mean, the, just to, to, to play on that a little, one of the things that you could potentially do is have a character get thrown into a battle they can't possibly win with their current stats as mm-hmm. part of the time-travel. Um and then thrown thrown backwards, you know, to acquire some things, and then thrown forwards again to try the battle again, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of different ways that you can play with time, and I think that this is a really interesting way to do it. Um, but the thing about Quantum Break that I should also mention is that it's um, you know Littlefinger from Gang of, Game of Thrones. Yeah, uh-huh. he's one of the main characters, as is Iceman from X Men. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so there are live are they voices. Are they? Uh... Are there? It's like are they like cutscenes or something, or or what happens? Both. Um, okay. So there, the characters are based on them. Uh, there are live action cutscenes, uh, which I really enjoyed. I actually enjoyed a lot of the narrative more than I enjoyed shooting people because the controls are really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, I don't play a lot of video games in the Xbox. Oh no, I'm terrible at that stuff. That's why I, I keep up bringing up RPGs. That's one of the only video games I can play because I don't need to like be able to shoot people. <laughs> right. I do so really bad. well at things where like I steer a car mario racing i do i do a good job of that but you know um having to aim and and operate a camera and fire and also throw time bombs at the same time is just all of it is a lot yeah (laughs) but like i love the narrative complexity that that these writers have built in and i love that they've just got this enormous sense of ambition and scale for this kind of storytelling um so yeah, I hope to see more video games like this in the future. <laughs> yeah, in the future. Thinking, the only place we're going. So and that's the yeah. only place we're going, guys. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, we wanted to kind of talk a little more about time travel in general. That just is like a a, a a trope within. There's that word that our commenters hate. Um, uh, in in film and TV and 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 stuff like that. I mean, I I think I feel like there are two different types of time travel and there 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 are ones that actually attempt to grapple with what time travel like what it would actually feel like and what would the the consequences be if it were to happen obviously it doesn't it cannot get all of them because like what would happen if if somebody could actually travel back in time like i don't know would the universe just collapse on itself what would happen (laughs) i'm I'm asking you actually as a as an expert in time i have no idea (laughs) that's <laughs> the answer I have no idea um, well um, let's just say I, the, I, I, let's just say it all you know it, 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 space time implodes and it's the end of the universe so you can't obviously accurately represent that but if you're able to jump a few hurdles and say okay we were actually able to 
do this in a rudimentary way. I'm thinking of things like Looper, I think is a good example where it's well, like, there's... oh, just think about all of the extra little sub messes you would create by creating another version of yourself. Right. That's well, sort I of mean, like you see a this... beefed up version of, of Back to the Future. But yeah. yeah. Well, you see it in Doctor Who, which is like the classic time travel TV show, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there is one episode, uh, it's a couple of years ago now, uh, where time does halt. And all of the t- all time happens at the same time, and it's very disorienting. And they manage to undo it somehow. But they're all they that that is a, a thing that they play with is like, what happens when you travel so much that you start to create cracks in time? What happens when you're so influential in all of these important events? Yeah, that that you literally rearrange the possibilities. Um, and are time lords even good? Like, should we have time lords? Is that a thing that should be allowed? <laughs> Good thing we don't have to worry about that yet, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not all time lords. Uh, yeah, I mean, because there is this, I, the thing that I, I notice about time travel is that it almost always deals with people's regrets. That totally, it's about yeah. how you you would change things if you could, you know, mm-hmm. or what how you would behave differently if you knew what the future looked like. So there are kind of two schools of thought um, in the time travel narratives, which is that you can't actually change anything and that in trying to change it you make the very thing occur the oedipus rex narrative Mm -hmm. and then you've got the sort of the looper narrative sorry for spoiling looper which has been out for several years um where you can change things you can change events you can make the future different of course at at great enormous cost at personal cost um and and i think that that's something profound that we wonder about when we think about the things that, you know, when we came to decision points and chose to go one way or another way. Like when I, for instance, chose to move to New York instead of somewhere else after college right. or, you know, any of a variety of other things, like very obvious places that are splits in your life. Well, um, there, there's also like the whole kind of fascination around this, around uh, like parallel universes of something that would like, you know, creating a whole other universe every time any kind of decision is made, um, which is like, definitely a, a big part of science fiction and my favorite my favorite science fiction ish books um the his dark material books um deal with that some i yeah i i feel like um what was i gonna say oh you know what's sort of interesting and i wonder if the, it's just like there's more interest in in doing time travel and like because you're talking about like the issues of regret people having an interest in going back and changing things. And I, I bring this up only because I saw a movie for the second time a couple days ago, a movie where a lot of bad stuff happens um, that's sort of predicated by one seemingly innocent decision that just sets a bunch of bad stuff in motion. And so I'm watching it again, and I know everything that's coming, and I know they're about to do this thing, and all I want to do is, like, edit it and have the different version and change it so that we don't have to go all through all the, the the blood and guts and shooting that it's going to ensue. But I don't know. I mean, that seems that seems like a particular kind of time travel or wishful time travel you do as a film viewer. I don't know. Yeah. Or you this I, this happens to me um, when I watch RuPaul's Drag Race, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because I can, I can see I've watched it for so long that I can see a queen making a bad decision, like oh, yeah. back talking a judge, for mm-hmm. instance, or you know thinking 
I'm going to wear this outfit because it's going to distinguish you, but it does distinguish you, but in a bad way. <laughs> like stuff like that where you mm-hmm. just, you, you can see it coming. You can totally, like you have these moments of being Cassandra and being like, I know the future. Please don't do that. And there's nothing you can do. You can't interfere. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's why that Cassandra tale really resonates with so many people still, right? Is that like you can, it's really easy to see when somebody else is making a bad decision. Right. <laughs> and it's more difficult to see when the bad decision is your own. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that fundamentally what time travel and prophecy and all of those things deal with are the ways in which we are blind to the consequences of our own choices. Mm-hmm. Um, in ways that maybe other people are not, either because they have more experience or because they are familiar with the decision-making process or because they're from the future. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that's, I think, what, what time travel really gets at and why I like it so much, you know? Um, where you, you read something like Paycheck, um, the Philip Dick short mm-hmm. story, and, like, you know, he's got this note from himself. His memory has been wiped. Um, he's got to go do these things. He sort of knows how to do them or he discovers that he has these abilities that he didn't know he had before. And there's just this sort of disorienting thing. But that's an extreme version, it turns out, I think, of life, right? Where you get thrown into these situations and you're like, I don't know if I can actually deal with this. And then you do. Um, yeah. So it, it's in, like in the way that I love most science fiction, this is a very fictionalized way of dealing with pretty normal problems by making them external rather than psychological. Uh, I do think there's a different kind of time travel narrative where the character is trying to fix something for themselves as opposed to like solve some giant thing that's going to change the world. Like there's definitely self-absorbed time travel stuff like Back to the Future where it's like just about, you know, the the stakes are kind of limited to his family aside from the whole space-time continuum thing. But like that's the main mission is to like make like make sure that his family doesn't fall apart. And then then yeah, you have you have stuff where it's a bigger kind of maybe a little more philosophical question, although I mean they're philosophical in different ways, but just about like, you know, if you were able to prevent this entire, you know, this huge history altering event, like what would be all various other collateral uh issues with it? I don't know. Um uh well, we should probably move on just because, you know, we've, we're having well, a chat. We're having a we're, chat. We're not really moving that far. I mean, when, when bands reunite, the hope is to capture your younger lost self, is it not? Listen, <laughs> I mean, after this weekend, like, I think two days after one of my favorite B or C tier emo bands from the turn of the century, by which I mean, like, the year 2000, um, uh, announced that they were getting back together. Like, it's really happening. Like every every, so to speak. Uh, not not to make an LCD sound system pun, but it it, it is happening. <laughs> as far as uh, every every everything from my late teens, mid twenties is just is is coming back in full force, and uh, that includes LCD Sound System, a band which broke up um, in two thousand. 11 and then uh yeah it took some time off they, they sent themselves off with a really big show uh at madison square garden a lot of people went everybody cried and danced it was just a defining I moment tickets. i was Wait, so pissed go? 
Oh, you no, I, I I was on Ticketmaster and I like was there right at the time because in New York, when you buy tickets, you have to be right on it or they all sell out. And I was buying tickets. I would have been buying for four people. And I think it's because I was buying for four and not for two or one that I didn't get tickets. <laughs> and I'm extremely mad still. Oh, man. Well, and like the rest of their closing you know, shows were at Terminal 5, which is the worst venue in New York City. So I was just like, well, screw it. Where and is all of Terminal that, like, 5? I always hear about it and I've never had to go. So I don't. it's garbage. It's um, on the Upper West Side. OK. Uh, and it just like the acoustics suck. The sight lines suck. It's an unpleasant place. I, huh. I don't know what else to tell you. The layout is a lot like the Music Hall of Williamsburg, but on a much larger scale and with pillars in the wrong places. Huh. Okay. Well, I saw LCD Sound System not at Terminal 5 and not at Madison Square Garden. I saw them in the cozy confines of Webster Hall. Um, oh, I saw them there, too. Um, oh, yeah. Long time ago, though. <laughs> Back in the day. Uh, See, when This Is Happening came out, yeah. Okay. I mean, I... This is a band that I've been trying to kind of circle around my exact feelings on this, both intellectually and also emotionally, because this band really did give me, and I, I say this in kind of a loose writerly way, but they did give me some great summers. Like those albums came out and they, I just remember them soundtracking like every single house party that I would go to, people would just get sweaty and dancing in a way that like, partially is just a matter of the age that I was at that time. I'm not going to as many sweaty house parties anymore, uh, for better or for worse. But uh, that was definitely the soundtrack of that time. I also associate them. I know this is like the most basic bitch thing to say, but like the summer um, after their self-titled came out, it was that and the first MIA full length album that came out. And those albums basically turned me against rock <laughs> like, I was Whoa. like I was like I just want to dance I think I think I just like dance music now I like DJs and I like electronic beats and I think rock music is moving down for me um and you know as I mentioned I was kind of like an emo indie rock kid up until that point so that was you know a, a, a shift but I, uh, one that I, I don't, I, I think has like been mostly positive and has like opened me up to a much more diverse. It was my entry level drug into a lot of very diverse and good music. So a lot of, I'm over explaining this because there's been such a backlash against LCD Sound System, not just because of the, the brevity of their hiatus, but because of I just think. Cha the changing conversation, the way that the conversation in general in music has changed in the last five years. They went away just, just long enough to have the conversation shift, but not long enough that it shifted in a way that would be nostalgic for them or like where music writers would be like breathlessly awaiting or like nostalgic about the time when they were like ruling the pitchfork so, blogs or whatever. I think what you have just put your finger on is something that I want to delve into a little more um, because yeah. for a lot of people, and I'm I'm not one of them because uh, one of the side effects of having your mom be a lesbian is that you listen to a lot of extremely gay music. <laughs> um, so I have always loved disco and new wave and all of these sort of goofy dance um, 
acts that were never really taken that seriously. It was like a yeah. dual consciousness because I was also a metalhead. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's how many perfect, people... though. That's great. That's like a full <laughs> education right there. That's like your liberal arts and your reading, writing, and arithmetic. But anyway, continue. So, but so, you know, I remember, like, I would put on erasure or whatever, and it was not cool. It was not cool <laughs> that I was listening to this stuff. And... Uh, it I wasn't like, cool for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Or, or disco especially. Disco yeah. was really maligned for a very long time, really unfairly, I think. Basically um, from Comiskey Park on until, yeah. like, yeah, until Electric Clash. <laughs> and then, yeah, right, that's right. That's exactly what happened. Like, James Murphy produced uh, um, the, the Rapture. Rapture's House of Jealous Lovers, um, which blew everyone's mind because it had that disco cowbell and it had, like, guitars and screaming, but it was also dancey. And like all of these bands just boomed out of New York with disco. Mm -hmm. Like they had just like been listening to disco like covertly and uh, were like, oh, I'm going to do something really radical. I'm going to I'm going to do disco. (laughs) (laughs) But um, one of the things that I notice about the sort of like revival that happened, disco originally was like. Um, not a white genre, really. And no. it wasn't a male genre. It wasn't a straight genre. It, yeah, it was not a straight genre. And like that was, like I think, where part of the backlash came from. It was queer as hell. Yeah. It was written for gay men and for women. And it was primarily coming out of communities of color. Mm-hmm. And rock is not those things. <laughs> it's just not. Um, and it hasn't been for quite some time. Right. And so I think that was like part of what spurred this backlash was like people being like, well, you know, it's not serious. And but, like, uh, when- why, and also, why is it the thing to emerge and become like revered as one of the best bands of the last 10 years or whatever? Uh, when, you know, James Murphy is this figurehead who does not represent the rest of the genre in which he's working. Right. Um, I mean, there's a very obvious answer to that, I think. Yeah, it, it, yeah, there, there is. And I personally, while I am complete, like, this is something that I care about a lot, like, all of these questions and issues are something that I care about a lot, it doesn't change the fact that that music made me dance my ass off when I was 20 years old. True. Like, And that's not going to change. I'm sorry I can't go back and, like, edit my musical experience so that it's, like, cooler or more like, you? politically correct or something within music. Oh my God, that's that's not the point of music. <laughs> I mean, no, I, 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 there's a lot of dumb music I listen to and I don't even like necessarily qualify LCD Sound System's dumb music, but it is music that I responded to in a very like immediate uh, physical way that is, it was not intellectualized for me at that time. It was just like, what was on? And what I gravitated towards. And it wasn't something where I was like, oh, I think I'm going to curate my tastes so that I've got, you know, all the right bands that I'm listening to. I definitely did that in other areas. Like, there are a lot of bands that I don't care about at all now because I got into them because I thought it would make me cooler. And I really legitimately would not say that LCD Sound System was one of them. One of the things that I do love about LCD Sound System is that they have a song literally about doing that exact thing called Losing My Edge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because they played that at the show, the the reunion show, and like it, it was one that you could tell people were not as into now. Like, and I don't, I think you know nobody was singing along with it. People were singing along with a lot of the songs. I mean, in general, it was like a very positive, cute experience. To, I keep using the word cute to describe it because it's 
it just was like a very cuddly fun show um barring some really weird awkward moments mostly having to do to do with the crowd and not to do with them uh i don't think that song is held up or like its concerns are have lost their edge yeah um as a culture we all lost our edge yeah i mean the songs that everybody freaked out for um i mean new york i love you everybody and it was interesting i i kind of purposely wore my dodgers necklace to um the the show just to like just maintain my loyalty to Los Angeles and the <laughs> culture wars. Um, I mean, that, that is that is also a very Brooklyn thing to do. Let's not forget the original betrayal. Yeah, it's true. I've had this experience before. I was I when I went to the big title show last fall, and uh, and it ended. It was at Barclays, and it ended with um, with Empire State of Mind, and like all you know, like like Jay and Beyonce were out there, and. It was it was big and incredible. Everybody was singing along. It was like it felt like a national anthem, and I was just like, I I can't. I'm not gonna sing a national anthem for something that is not my country. And I felt the same way about New York. <laughs> I love you. Like it's. Uh, but everybody in there, it was like it was like a bar room, like like big choral. Uh, everybody rocking back and forth and hugging each other, type thing, which was um which was pretty nice. I mean, in general, I haven't been to a show where people were dancing that much in a really long time including like dance shows like wow man when i went and saw them this would have been when did this is happening come out that would have been 2010 2010 yeah Mm -hmm. 2010 so when i went and saw them um people were dancing so hard the floor bounced i was like covered in sweat not just my sweat but other people's sweat yeah like (laughs) it was that's the way you do it i mean i i missed it made me really really miss that and made me think i'm not I'm not not doing this because I'm too old for it because I really enjoy it. Like I've replaced it most, mostly in my life with like running and working out and listening to the music that I like on headphones and enjoying it by myself at like 6 a.m. in a park instead of like 2 a.m. in a stinky venue. But like I, I enjoy it a lot and I don't I'm trying to pinpoint w- no, all the answers to these questions are too embarrassing. I, I know why I'm not going out. <laughs> it's because I work a job now. But uh, it's just, it's interesting to me, though, that, that everybody there was still there to have that kind of fun at that show. And I don't know that they necessarily would do that in another show. And I don't think it's LCD sound system. I think a lot of it is nostalgia and just like collective love, I guess, for a band that is, if you looked at Twitter that night, like... Everybody's like, oh yeah, fuck LCD sound system, blah blah blah. I don't know. It's it's weird. It 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 was. I have so many conflicting feelings about them getting back together. Like my own history with liking them. I mean, I don't know. All I know is that for me personally and emotionally, the GNR reunion is going to be bigger. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be I, that's gonna be the major cultural battle at Coachella this year. Yeah, I I am extremely curious to see about how that goes, because, yeah. I mean, the thing is, both fan bases have a lot of disposable income and can go to things like Coachella now. Um, Like, the case maybe 10 years ago was not the same for LCD Sound System fans, and GNR fans would definitely probably have more of a showing at a place like Coachella, but now everybody has jobs. That's the other Turns thing. I was just like, y'all have jobs. Like everybody at the show is like trying well, to relive, I, recapture. I will say for me, like one of the reasons why I've stopped doing this, I had a job throughout all of my twenties and a pretty intense one. I was at work at seven o'clock in the morning every morning, oh, um, which meant I got up at five. 
I can't stay out late and then get up early anymore. Like, yeah. I just, I physically cannot do it. Yeah. Um, and I used to be able to, and I kind of am mad about it still because, like, I went to that LCD sound system show, danced my face off, and went to work at seven o'clock next morning. Oh man! <laughs> and sometimes it's like, it's like it's not even like a mat. It's it's not a matter of getting trashed or anything or being out. Like I didn't. I had one drink that night, and then I had a horrible neck ache the next day because I'd just been thrashing my neck around. I was like. I associate this feeling with a hangover, but I'm not hungover. I just like danced really hard and I feel like worn out because it was like I did a really big workout, which is would great. Say, What's a great way to spend your night? <laughs> would you say you danced yourself clean? I did, except I was <laughs> filthy when I got home. But other than that, yes. <laughs> um, oh, and that was that was also that was a highlight, probably. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I like a lot of that band songs. They, I have a lot of good memories dancing to that band songs. I have some of those songs make me cry because of the memories I associate with them. Like it's a, it's a low key, pretty deep relationship I have with that band. And so, you know, I, I can't, I cannot edit them out of my musical history. Like I have to kind of accept the fact that they mattered to me and probably still matter to me. So, oh man, there are all kinds of dumb bands that matter to me that like no one cares about. It's fine. I think that's fine. That's, that's just the the condition of being a music listener. Look, I'm definitely going to be showing up at this rock star emo revival show with like dashboard confessional headliner (laughs) and my, my, my kids from Lawrence, Kansas, uh, the anniversary are, are also playing it. I'm, I'm kids. They're older than me, but I, I associate their music with a very youthful time in my life. So, uh, so you know, I'm not I'm not above that. Anyway, we should call it a show. We've yeah, we should call well. it a show. Thank you all for listening. This has been Verge ESP. You can subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Just do it and uh, add a uh, add a comment, add some stars, and. Uh, and you can also listen to us on oh oh we're on Stitcher apparently we haven't been saying that but we are I, I when did we get on Stitcher I don't know I I, <laughs> I, I don't know I, this stuff gets tweeted at me and I'm like I don't know I don't know what to do about it uh, but we are on Stitcher we are available on Stitcher now if that is your jam uh, and of course always on SoundCloud yes on trusty old SoundCloud on maybe on the paid SoundCloud app I don't know and you can also follow us on Twitter I am at Emily Yoshida. And I'm Ms. Lapato, M.S. Lapato. And we'll be off next week because I'm going to be in Mexico. Sorry, everybody. Mexico. But we will be, I think, back next week, possibly with me broadcasting from Coachella. I don't know. (laughs) What's my life? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We will see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye.